There are some classic dive bars in Las Vegas, none arguably as notorious as the Double Down Saloon, where something called ass juice is the house specialty. Patrons can buy puke insurance and the bathrooms, well, the bathrooms have their own life on social media. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Double Down owner and author P. Moss. He helps us answer the question, what makes a bar a real dive bar, and should we be romanticizing them? We also get a quick preview of his new novel set in many a seedy locale in 1960s Las Vegas. A quick note for those of you with kiddos in the car, as you'd expect from a discussion of a bar like the Double Down that has to replace its toilets on the regular, there are a few literal potty words in this episode. It's Tuesday, October 4, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. It's my pleasure to welcome to CityCast Las Vegas one of the most interesting perhaps perverse, definitely provocative, fascinating as I think a word that everyone can settle on, characters and movers and shakers in our community, a gentleman named P. Moss, who I call Moss. Welcome to CityCast Las Vegas, Moss. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You've owned two storied bars here in Las Vegas for many years, the Double Down and Frankie's Tiki. Let me ask you first, do you consider those to be dive bars? Well, Double Down absolutely is a dive bar. It's a punk rock dive, and proudly so. Uh, Frankie's, absolutely not. Frankie's is beautiful. Every inch of the place is covered with original artwork. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's called a dive bar a lot, and uh, it, it, it's just wrong. I mean, a lot of nice bars are referred to as a dive bar. I think the term dive bar has totally lost its meaning in recent years. People have no idea what it means. I they think that if it's not new and shiny, or if it's not a chain, it must be a dive bar. And it's not. It's not, not, not true at all. So what specifically makes a dive bar a dive bar? It's old. It's got a lot, of, a lot of years, many years and decades of character. You know, maybe a little bit downtrodden. You know, the place maybe has seen better days. A lot of the regulars have certainly seen better days. Um, you know, it's, it's been plucked out of a different decade, you know. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now, the Frankie's Tiki Room is built on the bones of an old Vegas bar, also named Frankie's. That that was a dive bar when you found it? Well, it was not a dive bar originally. Over time, uh, it sort of lost its luster. I mean, time was not kind to what was going on in, in there. So, yeah, it became a dive. And then... Uh, my partner and I bought it, and, and we gutted most of it, and we turned it into something that's beautiful. There's an interesting story. You know, it's, it's right across the street from two major hospitals, you know, UMC and Valley. And there was, for a, the longest time, both hospitals had a strict rule that nobody who worked at the hospital, whether you're a janitor or a surgeon, could go into Frankie's, ever. Because people were going over there all the time, getting loaded and going back to work. 
you know, <laughs> and now that rule is gone from both places and we get people to work there. That's great assurance for uh, the state of medical health care in, in Las Vegas. I'm, I'm glad that you've uh, told us that. I'm glad you said that and not me. Right. Uh, we get a lot of people escape patients who come over, you know, still they're, they're dragging their the pole that holds their IV, you know, IV bag. Yeah. And they're and they're wearing the, the hospital guy. But it's you know, they're they're a lot of fun. They got stories. So you actually open up your new book, which is being uh, officially released this week called Dead Ringer. You open it up in a dive bar. That's the, the very first scene, I believe. Can you read that paragraph from us from your new book? Yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't know if it's in those days necessarily a dive bar, but it was a bowling alley bar, and uh, it was a real place. I mean, this was an authentic place that you know, people don't remember because it's long, long, long gone. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll read the first paragraph. The leggy brunette in a clinging peppermint-striped mini-dress belted out her best Nancy Sinatra in the lounge of Buddy Bomar's Bolorama in the direction of downtown on Las Vegas Boulevard a few blocks past where it ceased being called The Strip, where nightly Sammy Shake cranked out top 40 hits on his mighty Wurlitzer organ until the wee hours, then loosened his tie and took requests, giving boozers the microphone to sing along. A nightly shindig that had zero to do with hitting the right notes and everything to do with having fun. Dealers and dancers made the scene, cabbies and trumpet players, cocktail slingers and celebrities, Jaded night owls who welcomed an alternative to stale casino lounge combos. Why do you open up the book in a bar in Las Vegas? You know what? It's just, I like bars. I, I like what goes on in bars. And if you notice in any of my books, there's a lot that goes on in bars. It's, it's just part of you know who I am, where I feel comfortable. And I guess you write about what you know, what feels good to you and who you know. And and what I love about that scene, and I had it maybe a little bit more divey, dirty. Maybe the bathroom was a little, maybe a little sketchy. Who knows? That said, well, it could be. Yeah, but what I love about the scene most of all is right off the bat, you are depicting all walks of Las Vegas life. Right? People coming to hang out at this bar, very egalitarian place. You've got, you know, your cabbies and your celebrities. You've got casino workers uh, and the people who support the economy all coming together in a place to have fun. Your your novel's set in the late 60s, but is that still the case for bars and specifically dive bars in Las Vegas today, too? Is it the gathering place that still remains? It can be. It depends on the place. My double down saloon. Absolutely, yes. Like I said before, it's a punk rock dive, but it attracts all people from all walks of life, you know, every demographic, young, old, successful, not successful. And the, the beauty of it is, and why, why people like it, I mean, you might have, for example, sitting at the bar beside each other, not together, say there's a plumber who just got off of work, you know, there's, there's a, a rock star, there's a, an insurance salesman wearing a suit, there's a movie star. Now, the plumber and the insurance salesman are thrilled because they're sitting next to these famous guys and they're being treated the same as right. these famous guys. The famous guys are thrilled because they're in there allowed to just be themselves and nobody's fawning all over them. So they enjoy it and they're comfortable. And that's one of the things that makes dive bars enjoyable. You also mentioned in that paragraph that this was an escape for some of those characters that some of whom show up in your in your novel later, an escape from the casino lounges, right? What can a dive bar do that a casino bar doesn't do? The thing about bars, most bars, the thing about dive bars especially, 
is that it allows you to escape. It allows you to escape your shitty day or, or whatever's wrong with your life. You can just go in there, especially a bar like Frankie's or Double Down that has no windows. And you have escaped from life for an hour or two or six or whatever. And it just it means so much to so many people to be able to do that because otherwise, you know, all they've got is their shitty job that they just got done working or the or the family they're going to go home to is going to yell at them or whatever. And they just whatever it is that is the static in their life, they get to uh, escape from that for a while at a bar and especially especially a dive bar. And it, it lets them just relax and be whoever they want and just absorb what's around them and feel good about themselves until they got to go back home and do it again. You've lived in Las Vegas for quite some time. You must be gathering stories. Do you, do you have any favorite stories that you've gathered in your time in Las Vegas that may or may not show up in some of your writing? I will tell one story, and it, it's, a, it's a sad story, but it, it's, it stays with, stayed with me for a long time. It was in my first book, which is a book of stories called Blue Vegas. And there was a guy who came in to double down every afternoon about four after he got done with his job. He wasn't complaining about his job. He just came in to unwind like a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, nice enough guy. And he'd stay for a couple hours. He'd have a few beers and he'd leave. And, and uh, one day he came in and he had this look on his face. He was like stunned. He was like, not just like a deer in the headlights, but he was like, he was like frightened. Like he couldn't even move. And I go, Dennis, what's, what, what's wrong? He hands me, well, the, the little, well, little business cards for the outcall services that used to be stuck in the paper machines were all with the hooker ads. It was a picture of this, of this uh, pretty young girl and she's on all fours and you're seeing her from behind and you turn around and she's smiling at the camera and he just, he shows it to me and he goes, it's my daughter. Um. <laughs> and he walked out and we never saw him again. And it was, it was one of the saddest things I'd ever seen just because I mean, just a look on his face. And, and I wrote a story called uh, Clam Daddy, uh, which uh, is, of course you did. Uh, of course I did. But it's a great story. It's about the relationship between. But, but they had really no relationship was the problem. You, know? you and I could probably spend the entire podcast rattling off characters. How about something p particularly weird or peculiar that maybe you observed in, in one of your haunts? Well, I mean, can I get a little graphic? Do it. Okay. Well, this was a long time ago, as Double Down hadn't been open all that long. And so one day there was this guy and he, he was a bum and he had a shopping cart and he'd park it outside and he'd, he'd come in and look to steal toilet paper or whatever. And well, anyway, one day he comes in and he finds a quarter on the floor. So he puts it in a video poker machine and he hits a hand that you know, lets him play max coins and he plays it one more hand and he hit a $1,500 jackpot. Okay. So what he does then is, uh, you know, he waits around, he gets paid. And as soon as he got paid, he dropped his pants, took a giant shit in the middle, on the floor, in the middle of the bar, pulled up his pants, went and wheeled his cart away. Bye. See ya. Never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this this next question is going to be weird. Then following that story, which by the way I loved, uh, because <laughs> what else do you do after you hit a fifteen hundred dollar jackpot after finding a quarter on the ground, but just let it loose in the middle of the bar and say adios? Um, yeah. Did you did you read the recent uh, survey of dive bars from Vice Magazine? I did. Uh... And I got to tell you, the guy that wrote that, uh, he starts at the double down, right? He does. He, he contacted me a couple of weeks before this happened. I think I was the only person he contacted and he wanted just nice uh, permission to come in and hang, hang out and write. I go, you know, come in, write about what you see, do whatever you want. It's all fine. And I forgot all about him. And then uh, several weeks later, this, this vice magazine, is it a magazine? Whatever the hell it is. Peace hits about dive bars in Las Vegas. And it turns out that this guy was just a total jack off. I don't know what passes for journalism these days. I know a lot of it just isn't. But this guy, because bar owners talk, right. bar people talk, you know, I, they come out of it very unscathed. It was all fine. He was there and then he went up somewhere. And, you know, he didn't get his facts quite right, but so what? But most every place else he went, the stuff he wrote about was either very embellished or didn't happen at all. He just made shit up. And a good friend of mine who owns a dive bar, uh, who was prominently mentioned in this, he read, he goes, this happened, but he just, he embellished it. It didn't happen like that. And the rest of the stuff he wrote about didn't happen at all. And I know because I was there the whole time. Right, and, and he just goes on writing about this stuff that it just it's just not plausible. It's stupid. It's whatever. Do you think that's a, a trap that a lot of writers fall into? They try to, especially when it comes to dive bars, which just show up all over the place, articles and literature and everywhere in between. Do you think that there's a a default of sorts to I don't know either overly romanticize or overly embellish, like you say, these these type of experiences? No, I, I just think that these people are not qualified to do what they do. You know, I guess you call them parachute journalists, you know, real journalists. They'll, they'll come in and they'll spend a day or two in town and they'll write a big story about something when they don't know anything about it. But, you know, it shows up in a major publication, so it becomes a fact. Yeah, and that seemed to be the banner for that Vice package, you know, that was really driving traffic to that website or whatever. But what do you think makes a dive bar, especially in Las Vegas, right for these kind of in- interpretations? Well, I mean, dive bars are, glamorous is the wrong word, but call them in vogue. You know, like I said before, the term dive bars lost its meaning. Cool things seem to happen at dive bars, some of them. And, uh, you know, they, they hear about them or they read about them or whatever. So they just don't know. They just don't know. I, I don't know why the dive bars are in vogue, but the, generally the ones that are are not dive bars at all. Well, you and I are going to have a conversation Thursday night, October 6th, over at the Writer's Block downtown at Bonneville and 6th between 7 p.m. and 8.30. Get there early. Seating will be limited. If you had to give me a, a quick, because I want to tease it a little bit, how, how would you describe the plot of this book without giving away too much? Well, it's a book based upon actual events in 1967, where Howard Hughes bought the Desert Inn and then went about buying other hotels. 
and I fictionalized it, and uh, and it's a very a very serious story. It's very violent. It's very dangerous. There's a lot of sex in it. There's a lot of betrayal in it. But when you peel away the layers, it's a love story. It's a very sensitive, tender love story. Okay, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Uh, 100%. Oh, come on. And while, yes. That's the way I see it. And this is something we'll, 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 we'll okay, so this is what we're going to be talking <laughs> about at the writer's block. I'm going to challenge you that this is a sweet love story because, again, it is one of the most deliciously perverse and a wonderfully <laughs> twisted books that I've read in a really long time. Uh, PMOS, I can't await to sit you down at the writer's block and talk further about the book. And thanks for Given us the ABCs of D-I-V-E bars. If there ever was an authority in our community, it's absolute you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Before you go, a few things you should know. Current and former members of an anti-abortion student club at the East Career and Technical Academy are suing the school district. They claim administrators censored their club, not allowing them to post banners and flyers announcing the club's activities. They also allege that nothing was done about cyberbullying experienced by the club's founder. Even though it's tearing down three of its properties and has been embroiled in a decades-long fight with the Culinary Union, Station Casino says it has six new resort projects in the works. That includes Durango Station, which is near completion, and a new project near the Sky Canyon neighborhood. The company plans to double the size of its footprint in Las Vegas by 2030. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Send this episode to your dive bar bestie. Seriously, go do it right now. I'll just wait with refreshing ass juice. Ah. Then... Make sure they're following the show. Make sure you're following the show. And don't forget to subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Stay hydrated. There are some classic dive bars in Las Vegas. It's my enthusiasm makes the shaky.